This time in episode 349 of Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., we discuss Luke Cage, season 2, episode 7, on and on, and season 2, episode 8, if it ain't rough, it ain't right. I'm Andrew from the Dad.io podcast. Life supplies the inputs, and we supply the outputs. Part of the Gonna Geek Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other fantastic and amazing geeky shows at GonnaGeekNetwork.com. You have been granted clearance by director Alfonso Mac McKenzie. Stand by for a shield debriefing. All information to be discussed here is classified and may only be discussed among agents granted clearance by the S.H.I.E.L.D. director. Now it's time for your scheduled debriefing. I'm Agent Haley. I'm Agent Michelle. And I'm producer of Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. SP. Welcome to Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., a Marvel Comic Universe fan show. The show is recorded on Thursday, September 10th, 2020, live from the Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. studios and broadcast Harlem-wide via www.geeks.live. Come and join our live chat as we record. Ladies, happy National TV Dinner Day. Yum. I've had a few of those. Do we still call them TV dinners, or can we just call them frozen dinners? Because, you know, you got the healthy choice stuff, and you got the Marie calendar. I think in general people call it frozen dinners now. I don't know that I've heard TV dinner anywhere except for this one bar that used to do TV Dinner Tuesdays. R.I.P. Angel's Trumpet. Back in the day, before microwave dinners, they sold these aluminum tray dinners that you would put in the oven for, I don't know, half an hour, 40 minutes or so, to heat them up, and then you would eat that, and that was called a TV dinner. It was before microwaves. Mm-hmm. And they were in those trays, so you could actually put them in front of you, and you could eat dinner while you watch tv because back in the day youngins the tv was like huge it was it was like a huge thing but with a teeny screen it was very interesting we had one of those yeah with tubes and there were actually tubes the internet's not tubes but the first tvs and such there were like tubes and we had one in in like the big wooden console yep my yeah i had one of those and then we Put it, um, I thought I tried to sell it. Nobody would buy it. Then I would, I put it out for the trash and then somebody took it within minutes. <laughs> there you go. Anyway, uh, if you want to get that experience, I guess maybe get a pot pie that you throw in the oven versus the microwave and do it that way. I guess that's the closest you can get nowadays. If you want to wait that long for your dinner to cook, crazy talk. Some people say it tastes better. It does taste better. All right. So with that, we'll get on with the rest of the show. Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. is a fan-based podcast on the Marvel Cinematic and comic book universes in general. Because of plastic-covered furniture. If you'd like to talk to us about your plastic-covered furniture, you can visit our website, legendsofshield.com. If you have a story about how your grandmother had plastic-covered furniture, you can leave us a voicemail at 844-THE-BUS-1. That's 844-843-2871. You can share pictures of your grandmother's plastic-covered furniture to our Facebook page, Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. You can find our video companions on YouTube at youtube.com slash gunnageek. You can tell your Amazon device to enable Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. skill. You can join our Discord server 
at gunnageek.com slash discord. And remember, Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. is a proud member of the gunnageek.com network. Agent Lauren wanted to be here with us tonight, but she just couldn't. So we're expecting her back next week or so. So I know a lot of everybody sent well wishes her way and she is still progressing and will be here again in the future. And also, before we get on with the rest of the show, I just want to send a shout out to the showrunner of Luke Cage, Cheo Hadari Coker, who actually has still been communicating back and forth with us. And actually, guess what? He picked up on the SP is wrong meme. And he told me I was wrong about good how Misty's relationship with the cop at the restaurant, how that was actually season one. And it made me feel really bad that I hadn't seen season one in a while. So wasn't he like the psychiatrist or something? The department exactly. Psychiatrist? If see, if you were here, you would have saved us from Cheo's wrath. But I'm glad he got to tell you you're wrong. You've he heard did. it from us so many times. I don't know if you believe it anymore. So thank you very much, Cheo, for that correction. We really appreciate it. From season one, he was a psychiatrist and Misty was still talking to him. So that was the connection there. And Cheo, thank you again for honoring us by listening to us talk about your amazing show. Which, speaking of, we got two more episodes of Luke Cage to talk about. You ladies ready to get into it? I am. Yep. Right, here we go. We're going to talk about Luke Cage Season 2, Episode 7, On and On, and Luke Cage Season 2, Episode 8. If it ain't rough, it ain't right. We have the creative team behind both episodes. By the way, they were published to Netflix on June 22nd, 2018 by the rest of the just like the rest of Season 2. Haley, why don't you go down the creative team for the first episode, On and On. On and On was directed by Rashad Ernesto Green. He has 19 directing credits starting in 2007. Those credits include one episode of Grimm, two of Supernatural, one of the Vampire Diaries, four being Mary Jane, one of Luke Cage, one Proven Innocent, one Looking for Alaska, and one The Chi. Or The Chai. The Chi, I think. And the episode was written by Nicole Morante Matthews. She has eight writing credits starting in 2001. They include three episodes of Any Day Now, Two of the Huff, one of the Nine, one of Kana, two of Law and Order Criminal Intent, eight of NCIS, two of Luke Cage, and two of The Walking Dead. Walking Dead, the universe that is still persisting. It's the last season, though, I think I heard. Yes. Michelle, you dug up some interesting news on that this week. Season 11 is going to be it, but they're going to spin it off for a Daryl and Carol show. Yes, I also read that. I haven't watched the show in a while. I haven't either. I think, what was the train station that they went in and out of? Like, I don't know, season Terminal. three, four. Terminal? When was that? Terminus. Right. Yeah, Terminus. Uh, three or four? No, that was way after that. I think it was like five or six. Okay. So I lasted that long and then I was out. Anyway, Michelle, why don't you go down the creative team of the second episode we're going to talk about today. If it ain't rough, it ain't right. This episode was directed by Nima Barnett, has 47 directing credits starting in 1984, including one Hooperman, three It's a Living, one China Beach, seven A Different World, two episodes of Diagnosis Murder, 
two Queen Sugar, four being Mary Jane, one Blind Spot, one Luke Cage, one Midnight Texas, one Jane the Virgin, one Black Lightning, and two Paradise Lost. This episode was written by Nathan Lewis Jackson, has three writing credits and starting in 2014, including three Resurrections, one episode of 13 Reasons Why, and two Luke Cage. And Luke Cage had the showrunner Cheo Hadari Coker for the entirety of the run. Still today, we will call him the showrunner since you know he's still talking to us. Thank you again, <laughs> Cheo. So we talk about the themes of the episode in relation to the titles of the episode. I keep on saying that every week and every week it's true. And Haley is our master of being able to craft the themes from the titles. So Haley, take it away on and on. What is the theme of the episode? So I have the issue today of I watched several episodes in a row. So I don't remember what the lines are between the episodes. So I can't do it. So basically what you're saying is Netflix kept on going on and on and you kept on watching and watching. Yeah. But this time I did stop with the last episode I was supposed to watch. So I at least have that going for me. Well, that's cool. Michelle, do you want to save our co-host? The issues just keep going on and on. Vengeance keeps going on and on. Wrath keeps going on and on. It's like just this weird cycle that just keeps going and repeating and such. You know what else keeps on going on and on? The amazing dialogue in the scenes, these one-on-one scenes that are happening throughout the series, especially these two episodes. That is going on. I will give the production team every ounce of credit for that. It was great two episodes, in my opinion. Anyway, if it ain't rough, it ain't right. Michelle, you want to take that one on too? If life ain't rough, that it's not worth it. If Shades doesn't, you know, rough up Mariah a little bit, it's just not right. I think it has something to do with that. It's just like if life isn't giving you a heartache or trouble, then life's just not right. All right. I think a little bit of it is the Luke Cage. It's how he works, right? It got to be Luke Cage, got to be a little rough about it. And that's what makes this whole series right is Luke Cage. Luke Cage was not the star of these two episodes. You don't say. You mean Luke Cage has a supporting cast that outdoes him from time to time? Yeah. Yes. Like he might think it's his show, but it's not. It's not just his show. You know, Haley, we have to backtrack a little bit because there was something that happened in episode five that you were all gunning to talk about. And you couldn't be here last week. Yeah. And it had to do with a certain money making opportunity for Luke Cage. So. Do you want to go into, since we're talking about Luke Cage specifically, do you want to go into that and what your take on the personal appearance was? Yeah, well, his comic book was Hero for Hire, and he's slowly transitioning to that role. He's getting paid for just being kind of a celebrity hero, but like it's transforming into him taking on clients and, you know, getting paid. We had a little bit of that of Trish slash Patsy in Jessica Jones season two, too. Mm-hmm. All right, let's talk about where we start because it was the cowboy face-off, high bridge, high noon sort of thing. Luke gets sucker punched by earth elements and he ends up frozen and getting pushed into the river. But he comes too. he wakes up in order to save himself. Is this believable? Yeah, because his name's on the show. They can't have him drown. It's the 
fall of the hero and coming back to life, getting baptized again. Mm-hmm. I know in the second episode, there's a baptismal happening, but in a way, when Luke comes out of the water, he sees his mom, he's, he uh, goes to his dad, and that relationship starts its own working out, its own journey. So, of course, it's a hero's journey. Yeah. Well, and I, we, I mentioned this last time I was on the show. We started this season with Luke thinking he's invulnerable and invincible. And it's this whole season is just him getting smacked down for having thought that. But this is just another vulnerability he has. Like, great, your skin's bulletproof, but you can still drown. Exactly. You can get internally hurt. His lungs can fill up with water. His shoulder can get dislocated. <laughs> the lethal weapon move doesn't work. We had to get that in before our night nurse left, too. Yeah. Uh, but talking about shoulders, yeah, Misty, not using her shoulder, but her arm, and she is back, baby. She is using it to her advantage in the garage. Oh, I love that fight. Luke's going, well, I don't need a sidekick. And she's just giving him that look. And when they get in there and yeah, he's doing his thing, but man, she breaks a guy's nose and one guy's running and then she just runs and jumps on him and gets on him. And it's just like, yes, Misty. And I like that it wasn't the arm and that she could fight. I really like that moment when she had with Colleen and that bar fight. Because that makes this scene even better. Because it's like, yes, it's not just her getting the arm that's giving her her mojo back. She's gotten her mojo back before that. And this is just a continuation of her getting her mojo back. It was an awesome fight. And I'm glad they brought the whole sidekick thing up first. Because they're definitely not sidekicks. So they come out and say, we're not doing sidekicks. Luke Cage didn't have a sidekick. And Misty is by no means a sidekick. It's pretty cool. She also gets the mojo back. This is jumping ahead, but in the second episode, she is able to envision the crime scene while she's interrogating Shades in the interrogation room. So she is back 100%, baby. Yep. I love the way that was shot. And you know they were actually on the scene with Shades in the table. And if you couldn't tell, I watched it because this is the second time through it for me, so I knew what was going on. But I was watching her hair and her hair was getting blown around like there was wind and he was just there was no wind on his clothes, in his hair, anything. So it looked like he was in the interrogation room. But, you know, when they shot it, he was right there on set. I also like the way that Misty and Luke's relationship is changing because of his new gig. He has mostly been working with her and they've been working together on things up till this point. But now she's the acting police chief for that little unit and he's got his own clients so he's not necessarily looking out for what's the best thing for misty anymore what's you know the truest defense of the law now he's worrying about what's best for his client even if it's a client he doesn't particularly like and ultimately he wants what's best for harlem so in order to get there he's got to go through this awkward stage i would say with mariah stokes Mariah Stokes. Love it every time he says that. Well, you brought up the precinct and Captain Rittenhauer. I had a lot of respect for Captain Rittenhauer as this was starting because he was being pragmatic about Luke Cage, about Misty and everything. And then you start to see the cracks in the armor as the season goes on. 
And you know that he has a personal relationship with Mariah based on their childhood together and possibly a child together. I, I don't think it's his child, but I'll get to that. That's fine. It is insinuated for the viewer at this point to try to figure out. So it's possible for the viewer that that's true. And then he has a CI, confidential informant, off the books. Now, what captain keeps a CI <sighs> off the books? Every captain that wants to get murdered, that's who. Right. Get murdered and then have no evidence of the investigation you've been running for months. What did Misty say? He was a house cat that shouldn't have been left outside. <laughs> mm. That was tough. That was tough watching that. But Shades, oh my gosh. So we have been following over the past two episodes last week, this transformation between Shades and, and Chi of figuring out who knew what and when. And there's a little bit of Mariah and Cap Marinhauer getting information back and everything. Another reason Cap Marinhauer kind of, he kind of murdered himself because he let it out that he had a CI through his talking with Mariah. But it comes down to the parking lot scene with Chi and with Shades and Captain Renhauer and Shades just, he handles it. Does he? He kind of makes a mess. Yes. I mean, at first, you know, when, when Darius, she's Rittenhauer in the chest and it's point blank and Shades goes over and he shoots, he shoots Darius once at an angle that's plausible. So right up in there, right Till then, the story could have held. But then he walks over to Darius and then shoots him from a range in an angle that Rittenauer definitely could not have done. It goes to show how Shades blinded by love and how that has shaped him and made him see himself in this situation. That was cold. You murder your own best friend, possibly lover, as we were talking about last time. I think it's made pretty clear that they were lovers when they were in prison. I'm a little dense. You missed last episode. I didn't see it the first time. <laughs> my first time I watched through the whole thing. This time I did, though, before okay. we podcasted. And it was a revelation to me. So, you know, you always pick up stuff the second, third time through. Okay. This was kind of big, though. Especially since I knew he murdered Chi later, or killed him. Murdered, whatever, it's the same thing right here. So, I knew this was coming up. I knew that Michelle didn't know it was coming up, and it just made the barbershop scene last time so much more important, because you know what happens here. Anyway, Shades goes, and he is definitely out for number one, especially after he gets left without Ben Donovan. We'll talk about that in a second, Attorney Ben Donovan, in the interrogation room. Eventually, he's let to leave. He goes back to Mariah, but he is not letting Mariah get off with everything. He actually holds something over her. He's got that gun. Right. How did he get it, though? Well, he had to have gone back to the brownstone. Or did Bushmaster give it to him? No. Or did no. he pickpocket it off of Mariah? When they were hugging. I don't think Mariah had it when she was rescued. Because she was still looking for it? Yes. Because when she came, she was looking for it. So I think Shades got there first, found it, mm -hmm. left, waited for her to come, and then 
came and they had that exchange. Every scene, I mean, she, Michelle, you mentioned it in the notes here. She is unraveled. She is continuing on her manacle progression, just like her cousin did, right? But it's impossible to hate her, right? Yeah, right now, there are characters that on paper you should just despise. And again, like right now, I don't know, you know, we haven't, we're not going to talk about what happens in next episodes and stuff. So maybe something happens. But as of this, you know, these two episodes, I should despise Mariah. But Alfre Woodard, her performance just makes you see the nuances, makes you kind of like, well, maybe she's not all that bad. Maybe she could be redeemed a little bit. And again, and also kudos to Theo Rossi, who plays Shades, Hernan. Alfre Woodard is a powerhouse of an actor. And for him to hold his own against her and to make it, the shades Mariah relationship, like this give and take and how he's manipulating her, their scenes, you know, that's just two great actors and being able, him being able to hold his own with her. That's, that's amazing. I'll tell you this. If I'm a gangster and if I'm dealing with other gangsters and I see a gangster take out a letter opener and walk around the room, I'm going to be moving myself away from that gangster. You can't move away. She's the boss. You have to stay where you are. Oh, I know. That's the conundrum, right? Because you can't show weakness. She's the boss. Because then, like, what if you sit on your hand? She's going to be like, put your hand on that table. Or maybe she'll just do it through your eye or Yeah, what are you going to do? It's just nothing good is going to come from that. And they're all just standing there like nothing's going to happen. She's yelling and she's got a letter opener and she's talking about family. I would worry about my family jewels right then. True. This season would just wouldn't be the same without Mariah. And you get a little bit more into the history. This has been alluded to along the way. Bushmaster has done a great job of storytelling and telling the story of how the club came to be, who was who, you know, the fathers and who sold who out. Those are powerful scenes because you're getting more and more backstory as to why Bushmaster really hates Mariah Stokes to the point of he's got everything, yet he's putting everything at risk just to make sure that she gets hurt how he wants to hurt her and take her soul. Vengeance is never enough. I mean, his uncle's right. You've got everything. You're getting a suit. You've got all this power. You've got the club. And he says Gwen would be proud of what he has, but not how he got it. And it's interesting that uncle is just like, you know, you've got enough, you have it, and you're going too far. And I'm going to walk away right now because what you're doing to yourself is eating at your soul. And I just can't see you self-destruct like this. He's a very powerful figure, both literally and figuratively, because he walks into the brownstone and Mariah, I was going to say Alfred, Mariah shoots him several times and doesn't even phase him because he's got the nightshade coursing through his veins and everything and when he is in the club office Harlem's paradise office and he hears luke cage's name is the reason why mariah is still alive he literally rips the chair in half of course it's all cinematic right but when you're watching it you go like wow he's so powerful he just 
rips. It's like the Captain America ripping the log scene apart, except for with a very well-built chair, probably from like the 1950s. And maybe it was newer. I don't know. But anyway, it's very powerful. You try, you go to work tomorrow and you try ripping up your chair or like I got my podcast chair here. You know, if you got something like this, you try ripping that up with your bare hands. I might have to like tape it back together and use it for a while. (laughs) Right. I just got this chair this summer. I'm not ripping this apart. (laughs) Okay. Fair, fair. But that's my point is that's how hard it is to do both emotionally, apparently, and, and figuratively. It's a very powerful figure, and I think they've set him up to be a more than adequate bad guy for this season. Yeah. Also, he gets all the money, and I alluded to this before, but we find out that Ben Donovan just goes where the money is, as any good lawyer does, right? It's all about those billable hours. I don't know, unless I'm told not to, and that's probably what happened. He was told no longer to represent them. But if I'm a lawyer, I, I would probably at least stick it out until my client was out of the interrogation room if there was no reason. Also, when you've been part of the criminal enterprise, maybe don't leave them hanging in a position to cut a deal and roll over on you. And I didn't realize this, but Mabel put him through law school. Mama Mabel. So it's not just a loyal client breaking, but you're supposed to be part of the family supposed to be more than money but for donovan's like nope again even if he's just gonna cover his own ass they've got dirt on you too dude yeah so it's it's just stereotypical lawyer right and it comes across that way and i think the character is entertaining to watch another family member though is not so entertaining to watch anymore because well his head's floating in a fish tank that would be piranha and piranha Okay, so you're in Piranha's position, right? You've got Bushmaster trying to get you to hand over the keys to masses of amounts of wealth. You think you're still going to be alive afterwards? If the only thing keeping you alive is the passwords, why give the passwords up? Because they're going to torture him otherwise, and he's a wimp. Die slow or die quick? I guess. Yeah. Maybe it's because he kept He kept mentioning Luke Cage. Luke Cage is going to find me. You can't kill Luke Cage. And Bushmaster, when you keep saying things that he doesn't like, when you keep calling Mariah Mariah Dillard and not Stokes, or you don't say things that he wants to hear, heads start popping. Yeah. Well, at least we didn't have to see it. But it definitely happened. And Bushmaster likes beheading people. This is what? Uh, at least the fourth if not the fifth beheading right well there were i think there were three heads on pikes at mariah's community center oh nigel nigel so it is five yeah for those keeping track at home yeah i should have started a head count (laughs) (laughs) for Uh, for this season for a very slow drinking game well that would be the type that us aarpers like me would have to do Tilda. Tilda had this very powerful emotional scene with her mom in the shop at the end, right before there was a big fight and everything got shot up. But Mariah is trying to worm her way back into Tilda's life. And there there honestly is family stuff going on there that you find out that 
Tilda was given away by Mama Mabel, but she was always loved, that sort of thing. And Tilda's just crying. I think she knows that she's just being manipulated and set up, but she still wants that connection with her biological mom. It's just so touching to watch. Heartstring pulling. So my thoughts then on Tilda's father, I think it's Mariah's uncle because we know he abused Mariah when she was younger. And that would have been around the time that she would have conceived Tilda. So that's what I think. And Mama Mabel sent her away so that no one would know about the family shame. It's hard to argue with him. Maybe Rittenauer fell back because he, he knew of the abuse at the time. Yeah. And she blamed Mariah, blamed him from pulling back and thus opening the door more for Uncle Pete. I don't know. It's plausible. I don't know for sure, but there is some possibilities here, some stronger than others. So at the end of everything, and we're not necessarily done talking about everything, but at the end of the episodes, they're kind of stuck. So you got the Stolks family, you've got the Luke Cage, uh, Misty, and the cops, and they're all standing outside on the street going, what do we do? So what do you do in that case? Call your rich friend. friend. Very rich friend, right? Danny. And here is where I want to say that the Defenders universe shines because you can, when the going gets tough, you can lean on other people. And there was post Defenders here. There's a tremendous intermix that's happening in these series because you see Foggy show up. You see Colleen show up. You have Danny now invoked. You have the arm for Misty. That is coming from Rand Corporation. Definitely a lot of crossover between Iron Fist and Luke Cage. But you also have Daredevil crossover with Foggy. We don't have any Jessica Jones specific, but you're getting a lot of crossover. And in, in the crossovers, even if they're just guest appearances in an episode, I think that's where this Defenders universe shone, shined brightly. And it did. I mean, Luke, this whole season of luke cage is great but i think those are shining moments of the entire universe wasn't there a trish bit in like the very first episode where they were talking about news coverage it was on the radio but i don't think we actually saw trish right that's still a crossover i'm counting it it is it's all connected all right so michelle anything else you want to talk about before we leave the subject luke and his dad oh yeah luke and his father start talking about what's going on between the two. And we learn that Luke's father blamed Luke when mom got cancer. It's one of those, you know, the mother gets sick and you just want to lash out. Your son's in jail and you just want to blame somebody. So you blame your son that's in jail for something he absolutely has no control over, which is cancer. That was powerful because it really it was from the time that these two episodes started when Luke came to the church after the river and it took two episodes to get through. Again, I think these two episodes pair really well together. Like they did last week, two episodes paired really well together. Something that I want to talk about on these two episodes is I love the storytelling when you're going through multiple scenes simultaneously and the multiple scenes cut between each other. You had the scene where Bushmaster is telling about the past family and family deaths, and it's paralleling what's going on with Luke and his storytelling. 
sometimes you get a third in there with a, a cop and that happened a couple of times in these two episodes including at the very i really enjoy that type of storytelling because it intertwines everything so well and sometimes the cuts are just perfect like the character says something and then another character responds in another scene and it just all makes sense so my hat is off again to the production team very well done when you do that right Haley, you got anything that you want to say about these two episodes or the series in general since you haven't been with us the entire time the other female detective whose name i don't know Nandi. yeah there you go her being the one to say we had a betting pool on how long before you came back they all said this i said two days i like that very much i like the switch from them having an antagonizing relationship to them working together i just enjoy it it's a very fun relationship to watch very entertaining this whole series has been entertaining i've enjoyed it i don't necessarily think that these are two of my favorite episodes i mean he had a lot of action there's so there's a lot of fights you had the jamaican taxi garage fight you had the escape from the precinct which was short-lived but was very impactful especially when luke basically kicked a car spun it around you had the church fight when luke was saving his dad and then you had the fight at tilda shop with a lot of gunplay so a lot of various different things between guns and physical fights in these really tend to move it along especially when you do have all those slow dialogue intensive really intentional statement scenes that could drag if you watch two hours of that back to back but then you have this great action in there and i think i think it worked well oh it does all right anything else before we move on uh, michelle last words again these two episodes really good to watch back to back Yeah, there were a lot of talky scenes, but they were so well acted and the cutting. I think my favorite was the baptismal at the end because it's, you know, Luke's father is performing and then he's reading from Corinthians and it's cut with Bushmaster doing his nightshade ritual thing. And I think that's probably one of my, I think that's my favorite, like cut back and forth. Yeah, I enjoyed that. Haley, I know you've watched a lot of the season in a binge mode. So how do you think of the season so far? I like getting more history, especially on our villain. I think a well-built villain is what makes a good hero movie or TV show. So I like that we're getting more about Mariah. We're getting more about Bushmaster. We're getting more about the history of Harlem within the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's just all very interesting. I've seen everything. I know what comes next. I can't wait for you guys to see it because you're going to have a lot to say about that. We'll next week get on to the next couple of episodes here. It'll be episode nine for Pete's sake and episode 10, the main ingredient. And I think today what we're going to do is we're going to phone a friend and we're going to get on out of here. A very rich friend. Thank you, everybody, for downloading, listening, and then getting back to us, whether it's on our Discord server or Twitter or emailing us. Really appreciate it. Matter of fact, I've gotten a lot of phone messages as well. Some hangups. I'm thinking it's political season, so that might be what the hangups are, but some of the phone messages have been fun. So thank you very much for all of that. We really appreciate it, especially Cheo. If you're still listening, thank you very much, sir. Yeah. Uh, thank you to everybody that is listening, especially. 
any creators within the MCU or the MTVU that might be listening, we appreciate all of our listeners equally. But if you're a creator of the show and you want to share some inside info with us, we would also love to hear that. Yes, thank you very much. We appreciate all the interaction. I know Lauren really loves it when the Twitter interaction happens. And, you know, again, thank you very much for sticking with us post Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. We appreciate it. We do. So until next time, I'm producer of the show, SP. I'm Agent Haley. I'm Agent Michelle. See everybody next time. Bye. Bye. Wash your hands. Wear a mask. Believe in science. Thank you for listening. If you want to leave us feedback, go to gunageek.com and you will find all our contact information and other shows. You can also visit legendsofshield.com where you'll find our complete archive of podcasts. The music heard on this podcast is by Kevin McLeod, found at incompetech.com and also artists on pond5.com and audiojungle.net. The opinions heard on this podcast are those of the individual hosts and do not represent Stargate Pioneer Productions, Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., or Gunna Geek. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is the property of the Disney Corporation, Marvel Studios, and ABC. No infringement is intended. So I'm on the treadmill mm-hmm. and put in a VHS tape and it turns out to be the very first network premiere of the empire strikes back. There was a nice little R2D2 and C3PO forward to it where they told the story of everything up to that point. That's pretty cool. And I'm watching this as I'm running on the treadmill and it's the first time I've watched Empire Strikes Back in a long time. I'm not as enamored with it as everybody else, but since it's been a while, you know, I'm, I'm getting interested into it. And it gets to the point where Luke is coming up on Dagobah, and he goes through the cycle, the landing cycle, and he crashes in the swamp. So Yoda had to have been aware of Luke's approach. So he had to know that Luke was coming, right? Mm-hmm. And that's why he's got the stew on, because they go to his little hobble to have stew later. It's because Yoda knew that Luke was coming, and he was going to invite him over for dinner. And he was probably talking a little bit to Obi-Wan during this whole thing. So anyway, Luke comes in, he ditches it in the swamp, right? Because he just bobbles it. And I want to see the deleted scene where Yoda is talking to ghost Obi-Wan, just doing a facepalm, followed by a single word of dialogue like, idiot or something like that or like this is our last hope (laughs) (sighs) then them just looking at each other like oh (laughs) really (laughs) obi-wan yep maybe the sister how about the sister she's still out there yeah Yeah. let's go help her yeah she's dealing with my knock she's dealing with my knock anyway i'm probably going to have more thoughts like that as it go on the first time i've really thought critical of it like wait a minute i want to see that deleted scene yeah also this was with puppet yoda and puppet yoda is way too much like kermit the frog yeah so i'm on the treadmill mm-hmm. and put in a vhs tape and it turns out to be 
the very first network premiere of The Empire Strikes Back. There was a nice little R2-D2 and C-3PO forward to it, where they told the story of everything up to that point. That's pretty cool. And I'm watching this as I'm running on the treadmill, and it's the first time I've watched Empire Strikes Back in a long time. I'm not as enamored with it as everybody else, but since it's been a while, you know, I'm, I'm getting interested into it. And it gets to the point where Luke is coming up on Dagobah, and he goes through the cycle, the landing cycle, and he crashes in the swamp. So Yoda had to have been aware of Luke's approach. So he had to know that Luke was coming, right? And that's why he's got the stew on, because they go to his little hobble to have stew later. It's because Yoda knew that Luke was coming, and he was going to invite him over for dinner. And he was probably talking a little bit to Obi-Wan during this whole thing. So anyway, Luke comes in, he ditches it in the swamp, right? Because he just bobbles it. And I want to see the deleted scene where Yoda is talking to ghost Obi-Wan, just doing a facepalm, followed by... (laughs) A single word of dialogue like idiot or something like that. Or like, this is our last hope. <laughs> oh, and then them just looking at each other like, oh. Really, Obi-Wan? <laughs> yep. Maybe the sister. How about the sister? She's still out there. She, yeah. yeah, let's go help yeah. her. Yeah. She's dealing with Minoc. She's dealing with Minoc. Anyway. I'm probably going to have more thoughts like that as I go on. The first time I've really thought critical of it, like, wait a minute. I want to see that deleted scene. Yep. Also, this was with Puppet Yoda, and Puppet Yoda is way too much like Kermit the Frog. Yeah. So I'm on the treadmill mm-hmm. and put in a VHS tape, and it turns out to be the very first network premiere of the empire strikes back there was a nice little r2d2 and c3po forward to it where they told the story of everything up to that point that's pretty cool and i'm watching this as i'm running on the treadmill and it's the first time i've watched empire strikes back in a long time i'm not as enamored with it as everybody else but since it's been a while you know i'm I'm getting interested into it and it gets to the point where Luke is coming up on Dagobah and he goes through the cycle, the landing cycle, and he crashes in the swamp. So Yoda had to have been aware of Luke's approach. So he had to know that Luke was coming, right? And that's why he's got the stew on because they go to his little hobble to have stew later. It's because Yoda knew that Luke was coming and he was going to invite him over for dinner. And He was probably talking a little bit to Obi-Wan during this whole thing. So anyway, Luke comes in, he ditches it in the swamp, right? Because he just bobbles it. And I want to see the deleted scene where Yoda is talking to ghost Obi-Wan, just doing a facepalm, followed by a single word of dialogue like idiot or something like that. Or like, this is our last hope. (laughs) (sighs) Then them just looking at each other like, oh, really, Obi-Wan? <laughs> yep. Maybe the sister. How about the sister? She's still out there. She, yeah. yeah, let's go help yeah. her. Yeah. She's dealing with Minoc. She's dealing with Minoc. 
Anyway, I'm probably going to have more thoughts like that as I go on. The first time I've really thought critical of it, like, wait a minute. I want to see that deleted scene. Yep. Also, this was with Puppet Yoda, and Puppet Yoda is way too much like Kermit the Frog. Yeah. So I was supposed to go to Ireland at the beginning of October. I was supposed to go to Ireland for like a week and a half. It's going to be awesome. That trip was canceled, and I finally canceled the airfare today. And instead of getting a refund, I got travel vouchers. So that's exciting. Yeah, our boss is, uh, was like, don't forget your PTO, you, you know, lose it or use it. And I'm like, oh, I don't have that many. And I look, I'm like, I have eight days. Why do I still have eight days? My brain just went, you didn't go to those conventions that you planned on going to that you allot throughout the year. So for the rest of the months, I have, I have to take two days off each month. I don't want to like smoosh it all together because it's not that right. So now I, I've got <laughs> that's wow yeah so all of us have not used any vacation we get most of us get five weeks a year it would got to thanksgiving and we would have all had to have taken off from thanksgiving to the new year basically and no we can't do that there's a lot going on in the office and even though a lot of people like taking a lot of time off during the end of the year i'm like we're home with everybody anyway. Why do we? So a bunch of us started taking vacation now. And that this is part of my five weeks of vacation that I have to take use or lose is two weeks in September. I don't know when I'm going to take the rest of it, but I don't think I'm going to go out of town for the rest of it anyway. So they, this year changed our policy from use it or lose it to you get to roll over up to 40 hours. So haha, suckers, I am rolling over 40 hours at the end of the year. And I'm also taking a bunch of like three day weekends. I get to roll over 240 hours, which but is five, five weeks. And so my user loses on top of that. Yeah. So I could take 10 weeks off right now. Do it. Yeah. I got my time in early enough. There's always two days that I always say for myself at the end of the year, because my work takes off like Christmas, Christmas Eve and Christmas and then um, New Year's Eve and the day before. And there's always that time like that week time, you know, like those two days or whatever. And I always a lot for that. So that way I have like 10 days off at the end of the year. That's my, my boss gets mad when everybody does that. Cause that's what everybody does. They're like, Oh, if I can use like three days of PTO and then have like two weeks straight off and they get mad about it. That's why I do it in like September, October. I always put in that time way soon. Cause then if too many, cause a lot of people like try to, they save up their PTO and they try to do it around like Thanksgiving and stuff. And it's first come first serve. And it's like, I'm, I'm already approved. So it's like, it's nice. Cha-ching. Yes. Thank you very much. We appreciate all the interaction. I know Lauren really loves it when the Twitter, when the Twitter interaction happens. Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. is copyright 2013 through 2020.